0: one of the things that I want to start with is, is just this idea that um, expectations have incredible power in our lives. Uh, you expect something from this time, um, and we, we know that. Uh, we also enter into relationships and marriage with expectations. Um, these are inescapable. Uh, we can't get away from the reality that we have expectations. Um, and very often they are unknown. And so they're more like landmines, and we don't know that they're there until we uh, step on one and it blows up. And that's kind of how expectations are too in marriage. We, we don't know that they're there until it's not met. okay. And then when it's not met, man, things get crazy. And so we, we have expectations for marriage. Single people think that marriage is something to be achieved or avoided. And, and some, some single people think that if I could just get married, then my life would be better. And so marriage is kind of hung out there as this thing we're seeking after That's going to make everything better. Or it's to be avoided. Chris Rock said one time, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? And so some people think that marriage is something to be avoided. I just got to run away from this. And then married people can view marriage in much the same way, that marriage is there to make me happy. And so for me, marriage is a partnership with someone who makes life more interesting and helps me attain my valued goals. And when marriage is about me, what ends up happening um, is it just kind of implodes on itself because you've got two people that think marriage is about them and what you have is two ticks and no dog. Okay, You've got two people trying to suck life out of each other and it doesn't work. My hope today is that we would get a bigger and a better picture of marriage. Um, Not that marriage is something to be survived or something to endure, Um, That marriage isn't something that we've just got to make it through, but that marriage um, creates a center of ministry where the gospel can be clearly seen by those in our lives, our neighbors, our friends. Um, 17 years ago, on the 10th of this month, um, I stood with my wife, and one of the things that was a part of our vows is that our marriage would always be the type of marriage that would make other people want to get married. What a what an and, and I'm not saying you need to be like me. I'm just saying what an idea that our marriage is our marriage is represented in this room, this church, would be such that others would look into our lives and say, "I, I, I want to get married. I want to get married because they love one another, they care for each other. The the vision that they live is something I can give my life toward pursuing." And dude, we are messed up. We are so messed up. Sometimes I I, I mean. I want to be right there listening and going, please help me. Because we're really messed up. Like today, we arguments. I mean, So we're not like, you know, this isn't like the, the, the romantic movie that you know about. This is real life. But at the same time, we want to pursue our marriage being such that someone would look into our life and say, I would like to love and be loved in that way. And what a vision for marriage, for all of our marriages to do that and to be that. So what I want us to do is I want us to go back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. That's where we're going to be. Genesis 1, uh, it's right at the beginning, okay? Uh, Genesis 1, and, and I just want us to look at what, what God set up for marriage, um, what's he, what he's doing in the world that gets us to um, this idea of marriage, and then uh, just make some application for us. Uh, so for this session, we're talking about God's design. And, and what we have in Genesis 1, we have a happy God who out of the overflow of his grace and goodness has decided that he wants to create a universe. And he's created a universe, he's made a world, and, he, and in that world he decides, I want to place my image there so that my image can rightly reflect and represent me there in the world. So the first thing we see is that man is made in God's image, and that's in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, image and likeness means that, that man was made to reflect and to represent God. An image is a statue of a sovereign so that if someone um, came into the world and said, what is the creator of this world or what is the ruler of this world like, they could look at the image and see what the creator was like. That's what image is about. Representative means... or. Um, Image and likeness. Likeness means you're the representative of God. And so he said, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps over the earth. Verse 27. So God made man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So what we have here is in God's image, God made man. Okay, He made them. He made man male and female, so that both are equally important, both are equal in the image of God. And yet, they're different, they're distinct, they're not the same exactly. They're equal, but they're different. And so he made man and woman, to, when put together to rightly reflect his image. And so God places man on the earth, both to reflect his nature and to be his representative in the world. And then he gives them a mission in verse 28, and a blessing. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And so God gives them a mission. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill this planet. Care for the world that I've made. You're to be my representative in my image, and you're to be my caretaker. You're to care for this thing I've built. And so God not only creates them in His image, but He gives them a mission. And He says, go and and do this thing. And so God gives marriage to them as a gift to accomplish His mission. Now flip over to chapter 2, and this is where it starts to get interesting and exciting. Now, Genesis 1 and 2 are both creation accounts. One is from the perspective of the cosmos, so this big, huge, God-made-a-universe sort of thing. Genesis 2 is focused more on his, the man and the woman. Okay, So there's more of a focus in chapter 2. They're not two different accounts. It's just two focuses of the same story. And so here we see God's gift. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God has made a perfect world. Everything's good. Everything's right. Except that man's alone and so god says i will make a helper fit for him now uh, the word helper is is a really interesting word the word helper is used of the lord in psalms so helper is not like um slave helper is not servant helper is friend so god makes a helper says, I will make a helper fit for him. Verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Do you see what God does there? This is beautiful to me. God puts man in the garden, puts him over everything. And he has him look throughout the whole world that's created there, sees everything, and Adam realizes, there's nothing for me here. There's no complement for me here. There's no equal for me here. So God lets Adam see his need. So God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And So here what, here's what we see is the, the first wedding. That Adam. Adam understands he doesn't have a friend. He doesn't have a friend. And God brings Eve to be his friend and his wife. There's going to be a quote on the screen. Um, It starts with happy marriages. Happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. By this I mean a mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. These couples tend to know each other intimately. They are well-versed in each other's likes, dislikes, personality quirks, hopes, and dreams. They have an abiding regard for each other and express this fondness, not just in the big ways, but in the little ways, day in and day out. Friendship fuels the flames of romance because it offers the best protection against feeling adversarial toward your spouse. One of the most important parts of our marriages is that we be friends. That was God's gift to Adam. And so in this, we see the first wedding. It says in verse um, verse 22 that the Lord God had taken from the man he made a woman and he brought her to the man. We should see God walking this woman down the aisle to this man. Okay, Now, right, no literal aisle. There wasn't a bride and groom side, okay, we get that. But we see this picture here of God bringing this woman to this man. And here we see God's design for marriage. Here we see God's design for marriage. Now look here, don't, don't, don't miss this. The first part of God's design for marriage is that this man had an awe and an adoration for this gift. Look at verse 24, 25. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, we've read that before and we know it, but Adam's, Adams is speaking poetry here. He gets so excited at this woman At last! He's seen every animal all over the planet. At last! Someone for me. He is in awe and adoration of this woman. Men, God's design in our marriages is that we begin and remain enraptured with our brides. Now, what can happen, though, is that familiarity can breed a contempt for the woman that God has given to us, and we can drift into a familiarity that creates this feeling that, um, yeah, we're you know we know one another, and that doesn't start when you have kids. Okay, there's this idea that that once you have kids, marriage gets hard, and it does. Okay. But I've talked to, I've talked to people who are young, married without kids who have already started this familiarity. Because every night feels like a date night. I mean, every night you're together and it's just the two of you. Every night. And so you go out on a date and it just feels like the night before when you went out to eat because it's easier to go out than it is to cook for two people. Right? And so there's this familiarity that can creep into a marriage and we can lose awe and adoration. We, we can lose this so quickly. I mean, dudes, even if our awe is only fueled by the fact that she is with us, I mean, th- let, that, let that bring some awe out of you. And the longer you're married, the more adoration comes um, because you stop looking through rose-colored glasses. And you see the real person that you've been given. And you realize what a gift of grace it is. Um, One of the things that I love to do, and my wife, we work together in in doing this very often, is, is marriage counseling where we sit down and we talk to two people who are engaged and they're very excited and they have no idea what they're about to do. You know, and, and we, we'll be talking to them and start trying to talk to them about some of the struggles of marriage and how it's hard. And they're looking at us like we're just old crotchety people that hate each other. And we're like, no, we're not. We, we love each other. Okay? We're, just trying to, we're just trying to help you <laughs> understand that you're about to get into something that's very hard. And what can happen is that there can be this familiarity that creeps in, but God's design for marriage is that men, that we begin and remain just enraptured with this gift God's given to us. You see that in Proverbs 31, where it says that his, her, um, talking about this Proverbs 31 woman, that her husband and her children will rise up and call her blessed. So there's this reality that God wants us to always have this awe and adoration for the gift that God's given to us. I remember the day we got married. I know, I know <laughs> for some of you that's not hard. It was very, very recently. For me it was a long time ago before, you know, like iPhones and stuff, okay? So it was, it was a long time ago. And so I remember that day. I remember standing at the front of this room not having a clue what I was about to get into. And I remember the doors in the back of the room opening. And I remember this woman stepping into that aisle. And I'm not a crier except at the end of, you know, um, it's a Wonderful Life. I cry every time I watch that. And then there's a couple other movies that I cry in. But um, I'm not typically a crier. That day, I was like a babbling idiot. I could not get it together. And Cheryl was this bulwark of strength, you know, the whole time. And I'm, ah, I love you so much, you know. And, but I, I remember that day. I remember that moment. I remember looking at this thing, thinking, man, I, I, she's for me. And that's what Adam's doing. At last. So God's design, men, is that we have an awe and an adoration of our wife. And some of you are thinking, dude, you don't know my wife. You're right, I don't know your wife. But God's design is that we have an awe and an adoration for her. Second thing, God's design is that men would take the initiative and the initial risks in this relationship. It says in verse 24, Therefore, okay, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And so God's design in marriage is first that a man would pursue independence and commitment. Pursue independence and commitment. That a man would leave his home. That he would get a job. They would figure out what it means to live responsibly. They would figure out how to pay his bills. So God's design is not just awe and adoration. God's design is independence and commitment. And then a man would would rightly pursue what it means to be independent. Men, you and I are charged with overseeing our families. And before we can oversee our families, we've got to be able to oversee ourselves. And so God calls a man toward independence but also toward commitment. Look at this. That a man would leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Notice there's not a command given to the lady yet. Men, it's our job to take initiative, to risk, and to pursue independence, and to pursue commitment. And a man would learn to hold fast to his wife, to learn faithfulness, to learn what it means to pursue a woman. One of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Kevin DeYoung, and he says this, um, men, we don't get married to stop, pursuing, to stop dating women. We get married so that we can perfect the pursuit of one woman over the course of a lifetime. And so men need to learn, not, we, it's not only God's design that we live in awe and adoration, it's God's, God's design that we pursue independence and commitment, that we learn to hold fast to this woman. And men were made to kind of feel this sense of um, i'm going to hunt until I capture this thing and then I'm done." And that's not God 's design for us. God's design is that we pursue and pursue and pursue and pursue and hold fast and pursue this wonderful gift that God has given to us. The next thing, that they shall become one flesh. The next part of God 's design for marriage is oneness and intimacy. We're to pursue oneness. There's no more mine and yours. Uh, there's no more, uh, this is my money, this is your money. If you are structured right now in your life where you have separate bank accounts, you are headed for mistakes. Okay? We're going to talk in a little bit, um, tell you a little bit about what we do around here for, um, marriage, for money counseling, financial counseling. If you are trying to operate with two accounts, you are headed for mistakes. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to start saying, well, this is my money and that's your money. And what that's going to do is it's going to drive a wedge between you. God's design is oneness and intimacy. And they are to pursue oneness so that everything that's yours is now mine. Everything that belongs to you is now mine. In fact, Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians 7 that even even one another's bodies belong to the other person. So, God's design is that we would have awe and adoration. And God's design is that men would pursue independence and commitment. And God's, God's design is oneness and intimacy. And they pursue, it says that they would become one flesh. We're going to talk about sex tomorrow morning. So, I hope you're able to come back. That's a good wake them up in the morning thing to talk about, right? First thing Saturday morning, let's talk about sex. Let's do that. We're going to do that tomorrow. Because. Part of God's design is oneness, and part of that oneness is intimacy. The the, the consummation of love that is part of sexual intimacy. It's important. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But one flesh is bigger than that. It's bigger than bank accounts. It's bigger than sexuality. It's about pursuing this sense of oneness, this sense of togetherness, this sense of we're together on the same team for the sake of the mission that God has given to us. It's this bigger idea that we're pursuing. We're not two teams living in the same house. We're not roommates. We're one. And we're pursuing this oneness that comes in the covenant of marriage. So we're going to talk about that more tomorrow. Now let's let's pause and think for a minute of what we see and what we have in God's design. We've got two equals bringing their whole selves to this relationship. So this is not boss and servant. This is not master-slave. This is two equals coming to this relationship fully. Then we have specific roles given to men and women. We're going to talk more about that later in session three. We have have roles given where man is, is given charge over this creation and he's been given a helper, an equal, a friend someone to walk with him on the mission God has given to them. So you've got equals, and you've got a helper given to this man to live out this mission. You've got one unified mission. They've got one unified mission as a marriage. Their marriage is about this one thing. Not, not she's got her thing, I've got my thing, but we've got a thing in our marriage, and we're pursuing it by God's grace. And you've got one lovesick, risk-taking man in pursuit of his wife. You've got one lovesick, risk-taking man in pursuit of his wife. And you've got one very capable, able woman willing to place her gifts and talents behind the leadership of her husband to accomplish the mission. And then the last thing we have in God's design is you've got two people who are pursuing oneness. You've got two people who are pursuing oneness. This was God's design. This was God's design. Now I know that we live in the world after Genesis 3. Okay, we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. We live in a world after Genesis 3. Okay, But before we talk about the effects of sin, Before we talk about all that sin's done to damage God's design, I wanted us to get up above all that and look at God's design, and to see God's the beauty of God's creation in giving us marriage, giving us this gift of marriage, the beauty that God made man in His image, the beauty that male and female are both needed to rightly reflect the beauty of God. The, the glory that this is. I wanted us to get up above the damage that sin's caused and, and to see this, this beauty that God has made. We have four kids in our house, which means that every Christmas is a nightmare. Okay? And we have grandparents who are very generous and we're almost grateful for that okay? Um, And it also means that every year in November, we go through their stuff, and we're throwing out things they got for Christmas the year before, okay? That's what that means, all right? Um, By throw away, I mean give to goodwill, okay? That's what that means, Um, and it is so interesting to me to watch my kids receive a gift that they're, it's the thing, it's the one, it's the one gift they wanted, it's Oh, it's that one, right? That by January is collecting dust in their room. Um, I wonder sometimes if we don't think about, if, if that's not the realities of our marriage. That this, this person, that X number of years ago, we were floating on clouds when we were together. They just she, He just knows me. He gets me. I mean, we talk all the time. And, just, and we're, you know, that, that feeling, that five, six months in, that feeling is gone. And that gift that was one, once we felt was beautiful is now, eh, yeah, we're married. It's got dust on it. And part of my heart for tonight is that, and tomorrow, is that God would would give us a fresh look at what marriage can be and give us a fresh hope for what our marriages can be. And yes, we're going to go in and out of busy times where life's about some things that are going on. Kids are sick. Bills have to be paid. Grass has to be mowed. But that our our marriage is, is beautiful. And we love, love being married. There's a quote by a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, it's going to be on the screen. It says this, let us in our married relationships show how Christ binds together two persons in holy love. Let us so live in this relationship that people of the world look at us and say, would to God we could live like that. Would to God we were as happy as they are. Is that not a glorious goal for us? that people would look into, your, into our marriages and say, would to God I was like that. Would to God I was as happy as they seem to be. God's, God's goal and God's design in marriage is that our marriage reflect His glory. That our marriages be this dynamic center of ministry so that when people look at our marriages, they would see the glory and greatness of Jesus. That's God's vision for marriage. That's what He wants. And my hope is that we would want it too.